Uh, I, I didn't grow up with Advent, seri- Advent being a word. Um, it was just Christmas. And uh, so I didn't really know what Advent meant. And uh, Advent was more than just uh, a season, but really Advent is, uh, is when the coming of a significant person, a significant event, a significant place. And so it's not just a Christian term, though the church uses it. And the church uses it because the significant person is Jesus. And he has come 2,000 years ago in Israel. And now we, are, uh, we, we celebrate Advent not just for what happened 2,000 years ago, but for what we have in hope is to come in the future. And that hope is that Jesus comes again. So we are looking back and looking forward when we stand in this season. And so as we look back, we read passages uh, like Elzba and Bryce looked at earlier with Isaiah 7. We looked at Isaiah 11, these prophecies of Jesus that are, were to come. And it wasn't just the prophecies, but we could tell what God, was, what God was like by his commandments. We could tell what God was like by the story that he was writing in the lives of his people. But it was 2D. It was kind of abstract. It was incomplete. So God reveals himself in Jesus. And when he does so, it's concrete, it's tangible, it's 3D. And so each week during this Advent season, we want to pull out an aspect of God's character and see how Jesus fleshes it out, literally fleshes it out. And so uh, tonight we're going to do so with Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and we will see his grace fleshed out. So uh, let us read that together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. All right, look at that last phrase. That last phrase, verse 16 receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. And if today is not a time of need for you, I don't know when that day is going to come. I mean, seriously, the the pandemic really has put us face to face with all of our needs, hasn't it? I mean, I just kind of thought about the needs in my own soul, the ones that I see out in the world or see in you in our church. And here's what I've seen. I I think we're tired. And we're tired because we're constantly having to pivot by changing our plans. We're anxious because we're testing out other people's risk tolerance for the virus. We're sad because we may know someone who's been really sick or someone who's died. You're lonely because you're trying to make good decisions for your health and the health of others. Maybe you feel really guilty because you know that you could have been responsible for spreading the virus in certain situations. Maybe you've been sick from the virus. Some of us are angry. We're angry at how others are treating the virus. Either they're being too cautious or they're not being cautious enough. You're cranky. You're angry because you've been in this for nine months and it looks like we've got six more to go. But here's the good news. Jesus desires to meet your need. That's what verse 16 says. In your time of need. 
you will find mercy and find grace. So he's got hope for your exhaustion. He's got peace for your anxiety. He's got joy for your sadness. He's got his presence if you're lonely. He's got healing if you're sick. He offers forgiveness if you're guilty. He offers patience if you've got to wait. And he offers mercy if you're angry. But I bet if I were to ambush you out in the parking lot, you know, six feet away, masks, you're getting out of your car, and I kind of sneak out of the bushes, and I were to say, what do you need Jesus to give you? What's the one thing? I think most of us, you'd probably say forgiveness. You know that you need Jesus, need Jesus to forgive you of your sin, and that's good. We do need Jesus to forgive us of our sin. But our need for Jesus takes on more complexity than just forgiveness because we have so many more needs than just to be forgiven but what do you think Jesus what do you think Jesus is going to do with you when you come to him when you're needy I've been reading a book called gentle and lowly it's by Dane Ortland if you don't have it you should buy it and here's what he says he says the Christian life from one angle is letting our natural assumptions about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. This is hard work. It takes a lot of sermons and a lot of suffering to believe that God's deepest heart is merciful and gracious. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. End quote. Does that ring true for you? I know it does for me. I expect God when I'm needy to be exacting and precise. Other times I expect him to be tolerant and overlooking, maybe disappointed and frustrated, then again maybe lenient and soft. Yet that's not what you see in the Bible. That's not what you see in the Gospels and Jesus. What you see Jesus doing with people who are in need is you see him being gracious and merciful. I mean, th think about it. Mark chapter 2, you've got these four friends who have a fifth friend, a crippled guy, and they pull the corners of the mat, they pull him up on top of the house, they dig through the roof, and the roof is coming in around Jesus' feet as he's standing in the house and he's teaching these people. They lower the man to Jesus' feet, and Jesus forgives him of his sin. And then Jesus does something more and meets his obvious need, and that's by healing him so that he's no longer crippled. Now, if I were Jesus and someone were to dig through a roof and put him down on me, I would have said, hey, listen, I'm in the middle of a sermon. I can give you an appointment later on in the evening. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus' knee-jerk reaction was to not just meet his obvious need, but meet his unseen need, his need for forgiveness. Meeting more needs than he knew he had. Then look at Mark chapter 5. You've got a demon-possessed man. 
And in Mark chapter 5, this demon-possessed man comes up to Jesus. And if you were to take this parallel account in Matthew and in Luke, when you put it all together, here's what you find out about this demon-possessed man. He's a cutter, he's naked, and he lives in a graveyard, and he comes up to Jesus. Now, I've never had a naked dude come up to me who was a cutter and who lived in a graveyard. But I think if I had somebody like that come up to me, I would be overwhelmed with the obvious nature of the needs before me. And it would intimidate me, and I would run the other direction and hope I was faster than the naked guy. But what Jesus does is that Jesus sees what his need is, and he sees that he's demon-possessed. So he casts the demons out of this man. And later in the passage, Mark chapter 5, it says that he's in his right mind. That's what he needed. He needed to be in his right mind. So Jesus met his need. Then you've got another time where Jesus is facing a crowd of 5,000 people. But he's also got 12 unbelieving disciples. disciples. And he tells the 12 unbelieving disciples, hey, will you go feed these people? Start gathering up some food and we'll divide it out. Well, they go and they don't have very much and they don't think Jesus is going to be able to do anything with it. And so they take, Jesus takes the two fish and the five loaves, multiplies it, and feeds everybody. So he worked in spite of the lack of resources. He works in spite of their short-circuited faith, and he feeds the crowd. Now I want you to stop and think. What did the crowd need to do? What did the 12 disciples need to do? What did the demon-possessed dude need to do? What, what, what did the crippled guy and his friends need to do? All they needed to do was to come. Just come. And that's what our passage says. It says, approach the throne of grace. Come. And I think part of the reason that we don't come to Jesus is because we don't think that he's going to let us in. We think he's going to cast us off. That's why we don't come. But I think there's two other reasons that we don't come. I think one reason is is that we go to other people instead of going to Jesus. And in some ways, that's a beautiful thing. When you go to people with your problems, when you're in a time of need. I mean, Galatians 6.2 does call Christians to bear one another's burdens. James 5.16 does say, confess your sins to one another, not just to God. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So it's not all bad to go to other people to confess your sin. It's not all bad to have other people carry your burdens. But I still think there's this real possibility that we only go to other people without really going to Jesus. And people, even God's people alone, are insufficient to give you the grace and the mercy that you need. But I think there's another insufficient source of help that we often go to, and it's ourselves. See, one of the best-selling genres of literature in the U.S. is the genre called self-help. And it's estimated to be a $10 billion a year industry. But we all know it doesn't work. We know it because at some point in our uh, childhood, we were told that you can be whatever you want to be. If you would just decide what you want to do, pursue your dreams, you can achieve it. Well, if you're an adult, you know that didn't work. The dreams you had when you were a kid, that didn't pan out. So what happens? You begin to blame yourself that you came up short. 
And so here we are, we're just walling around in our shame because we can't help ourselves. And then we spend a whole lot of money paying other people to tell us how we can help ourselves. And here's the sad truth, is that your friends and family can't really help you the way that you need to. You can't really help you. But there is someone who can. And that person needs to be like you and unlike you. And that person is called a priest. And in the Old Testament, priests are, are like us because they're human. They're human, so they know the struggles you've got. They're going through life too. But they're also unlike you. Because they do something that you don't do. They lead God's people in worship. That's what they did for Israel. And it was a really big job. But one of the priests had a bigger job than all the rest, and he was called the high priest. So he did all the other stuff that the priest did, but then he, one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, he entered into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, in the temple, and he made sacrifice there. It was a day shrouded in ritual. And it was on that day that the high priest stood between God and the people. But you know what? That whole system had limits. Because the high priest could only represent the people in God's presence one day a year. He couldn't take people with him. And he couldn't go continually. He could only go one day a year. But there was a high priest who did come. And that high priest didn't have those limitations. He could take you in, and he can take you in on a continual basis, and his name is Jesus. And he could do so because he's like you and unlike you. That's what our passage says. He's unlike you in that he passed through the heavens. What says he passed through the heavens? Don't picture Jesus flying like Superman through the heavens. What passing through the heavens means means that he accomplished salvation. So he's unlike you. Verse 14. Verse 15, it says that he was without sin. That's definitely unlike us. But he's also like us. You see it in verse 16, that he's been tempted in every way that you have been. And what that means is that you don't have to walk through this difficult life alone. So when you feel like you just can't stay sober another day, Jesus has been there. When you're isolated because you've been betrayed by a dear friend, Jesus has been there. When you feel like you can't handle any more physical pain, Jesus has been there. When you think you're being crushed by the weight of some loss, some grief, Jesus has been there. He can sympathize with you. And his sympathy is not a shallow thing. It's an active thing because he's willing to help you, not just feel sorry for you. See, Jesus is like uh, the doctor. You know, he, he can bring relief to you, but he's also the doctor who's had the same illness that you have been. Because what you need is not just relief, you need somebody to stand with you in your need who's experienced the same need that you have, and that's Jesus. See, he's the one who sits on the throne of grace, and he's the one who takes you to the throne of grace. 
And so the only thing left for you to do is to come. That's it. Remind me of uh, the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. See, Jesus has an inexhaustible resource, his grace and his mercy. And it's not just for one person once a year, it's for all of us, all the time. See, it's like his mercy is pent up. It's like it's ready to gush forth at the slightest hint of you coming. It's rushing down on you. He's not going to lob down a pep talk at you. He's not going to stand at a distance. You can't hold him back. He's coming for you because he's gracious and he's merciful. Let's pray. Oh, Father, just uh, think of the prodigal just right now. Uh, Lord, as uh, you uh, were sitting, uh, the picture of you, the father, sitting on the porch and while the sun was still a long way off, you rushed out to meet him. And so, Lord, I, I pray that someone in here, they've been trying everything else but coming to you. They know, they know they're needy. And, Lord, I pray that they would turn from themselves to get help. They would turn from getting help just from other people. And rather, they would turn towards you and they would find that your mercy is indeed pent up. So Lord, I pray would rush down on us this Christmas season. We pray these things in your name. Amen.